The movie is colourful, creative and quite complex in navigating the various heightened cartoon characters. Five, four, three, two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First. Puss in Boots, the voice of Antonio Banderas, first appeared in Shrek 2 in 2004, before showing up again in a couple of other Shrek sequels and then a standalone film in 2011. Now the swashbuckling adventurer returns and is facing his biggest challenge, losing his sense of fearlessness. The cat's death-defying great escapes have become legendary, and yet they've come at a cost. As we all know, a cat has nine lives, and unbeknownst to him, Puss has actually used up eight of them. It's then that he's visited by the demonic, red-eyed, big bad wolf, the voice of Wagnamura, who's out to kill him off for good. He's far more powerful than Puss, and leaves the latter shaking in his boots, pun fully intended. His one hope of redemption is to undertake an epic journey into the Black Forest to find the mythical wishing star and restore his lost lives. But that won't be an easy feat. In fact, far from it. Puss will have to learn to humble himself and ask for help from his former partner, Kitty Softpaws, vocalised by Salma Hayek Pino. The pair will be aided in their cause by a relentlessly cheerful orphan dog, Perito, Harvey Gullen, who's always looking on the bright side of life. They face considerable obstacles in the form of other cartoon characters also chasing the Holy Grail. I speak of Goldie, as in Locks, Florence Pugh, and the Three Bears crime family, Mama Bear, Olivia Coleman, Papa Bear, Ray Winston, and Baby Bear, Samson Kao, and evil incarnate Jack Horner, John Mullaney. Also featuring in Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, is Puss's doctor, the voice of Anthony Mendez. He's the one who delivers the news to Puss that he's on very shaky ground and directs him to visit Mama Luna, Divine Joy Randolph, who has a soft spot for cats. It's there that Puss befriends Perito, and the grand adventure begins. The movie is colourful, creative and quite complex in navigating the various heightened cartoon characters. I particularly warmed to Goldie and the Three Bears and the characterisation of the big bad wolf, scary that he is. My familiarity with them in their traditional form no doubt served me well and I dare say the same will be the case with the Littleys who'll see this film. Big Jack Horner was an interesting choice as the voice of Gluttony. The original English Little Jack Horner nursery rhyme was written with greed in mind, so that certainly makes sense. I'm simply not so sure how popular or well-known Horner is to the contemporary generation. That's not to say that you can't introduce new or less familiar characters into a franchise, only that Horner didn't seem to resonate as much as the others in this case. I should say that I did enjoy the casting of Jiminy Cricket, Kevin McCann as Horner's moral guardian. While I appreciated the setup and general trajectory of the story, I felt it was a little laboured and repetitive in navigating the challenges in the Black Forest. Trimming the offering by making it a tight 90 minute would have been advantageous. Still, Puss in Boots The Last Wish remains fun and fanciful throughout. 
It scores a 7 out of 10. Movies First with Alex First. Philippa Langley, played by Sally Hawkins, is a quirky, intelligent, divorced mother who suffers from chronic fatigue syndrome. Overlooked for promotion at work, a night at the theatre changes the trajectory of her life. She's taken by an actor played by Harry Lloyd's representation of Richard III in Shakespeare's play of the same name. As a result, she starts researching the late King of England, reading all she can about him. She determines that he's been misrepresented as a murderous villain. Aged 32, Richard III was killed in the Battle of Bosworth Field, the last decisive confrontation in the War of the Roses that marked the end of the Middle Ages. That was in August 1485. In her quest to find out more about Richard III, Langley, who's in her mid-40s, joins a passionate group of acolytes, members of the Richard III Society. One of the question marks surrounding the king is where he was buried and how his body, which was never recovered, was disposed of. Through her driven sleuthing, Langley defies cynicism, popular and conventional thought and academic establishment to solve the mystery. Her steadfast companion throughout is none other than Richard III himself, as represented by the actor who played him in Shakespeare's play. It's Richard III's apparition that appears only to her throughout her quest to uncover the truth. Written by Steve Coogan, who also plays Langley's ex-husband John and Jeff Pope, The Lost King is a delightful charmer. It's based on Langley's book, The Search for Richard III. Adroitly directed by Stephen Frears, who worked with Coogan and Pope on Philomena, the film is intriguing, dramatic, comedic and whimsical, combining warmth with pathos. In less accomplished hands, digging around for the remains of Richard III in a car park could quite conceivably have been dry and uninspired. Fortunately, not so here. In fact, far from it. Much of the movie's success gets down to the characterizations. If there's a better, more consistently outstanding actor than Sally Hawkins, I'm yet to discover him, her or them. She's superb in her portrayal of the too often brushed aside hero, displaying vulnerability and persistence. It's the way she carries herself, as much as what she says and how she says it, that greatly enhances her performance. Steve Coogan is personable as Langley's seemingly decent and well-meaning ex, who still plays a large part in her life. Mark Addy is compelling as the ultimately self-serving archaeologist beholden to the University of Leicester, which claimed much credit for its discovery. The Lost King benefits from its lightness of touch. It's a very nice film and scores a seven and a half out of ten. You're listening to Movies First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. The tumultuous life of the world's most awarded female vocalist is put under the spotlight in I Want to Dance with Somebody. Whitney Houston, played by Naomi Aki, was the greatest voice of a generation who enjoyed the highest of highs and succumbed to excess, indulgence and heartache. Tragically, she died at 48 and her only child followed suit when only 22. The fact that she had a remarkable voice was obvious when she sang in church, 
but nurturing and perfecting it was tough. I say that because her mother Sissy, Tamara Tooney, quite some singer herself, was head of the choir where Whitney was the soloist, and she was a tough taskmaster. In short, she was a perfectionist, and implored Whitney to pronounce each word clearly, and to recognise and appreciate that each song told a story. Sissy and her husband John, Clark Peters, had a volatile relationship. He's presented as fiery, controlling and manipulative. A chance meeting with no-nonsense Robin Crawford, Nefessa Williams, proved timely and liberating for Whitney. The pair became best friends and moved in together. And then Whitney got her big break when she performed in front of the head of Arista Records, famed record producer Clive Davis, Stanley Tucci. A Harvard Law School graduate, his previous successes had included Barry Manilow and Simon and Garfunkel, to name but two. Davis immediately signed up Whitney and lovingly nurtured her career, which took off and soared. The preeminent singer of her day, more riches were to follow with the release of the movie The Bodyguard, in which he starred opposite Kevin Costner. But tensions remained due to the close relationship Whitney developed with Robin Crawford and to her father's management style. And then Whitney met Bobby Brown, Ashton Sanders, and that became the best of times and the worst of times. Soaring above all, though, in this biopic written by Anthony McCartan, who was responsible for Bohemian Rhapsody, is Whitney's big, big voice, her extraordinary ability to reach notes others could only dream about, and then to hold them. Indeed, she rounds each word and note and savours it, as do her adoring fans, millions upon millions globally. She became the only artist to achieve seven consecutive number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. While a warts and all portrayal of the life and times of a vocal genius, based on documentaries and other readings, it appears that her down times with Bobby Brown weren't given fulsome treatment here. Naomi Aki brings emotion and gravitas to the lead role. As Whitney at her best, she's a shining light. At her worst, a broken shell. Tamara Tooney impresses with her grounded portrayal of a mother who knows just how special a gift her daughter has, but is not willing to cut her any slack. Clark Peters brings swagger and sleaze to his portrayal of John Houston. Nefessa Williams adds spice and spark as Robin Crawford, whose journey with Whitney is far from straightforward. And then there's the warmth and smarts that Stanley Tucci brings to the piece as a record producer with an open-door policy for his most successful client. While I was familiar with the Whitney Houston story, for the most part, director Cassie Lemons has done a good job bringing it to life. I say for the most part because I felt the film was stretched unnecessarily in the final half hour, when my involvement waned somewhat. I Want to Dance with Somebody scores a a 7.5 out of 10. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.